Hi and welcome to the Spin Co podcast, where every episode will take you behind the spin on what it's like to work and run one of Australia's leading brand agencies. From marketing to PR and digital, we'll talk about it all. Hi guys, and welcome back to season two of the Spinning Co podcast. So as you know, we've been taking a little break because Sam and Aaron have been gallivanting around the world. Um, and now we are back on for season two. So today I have with me Sam Mangan. Bonjour. I thought you could have come up with something a bit fancier or different for season two, Sam. Same old, same old. No, I'm bilingual. So that's, that's the only language that I have. So, <laughs> so. And we also have Lianzi. Hey. <laughs> All right, cool. So because yeah, that was real original. <laughs> it was like, was really, like, special. Okay, all right, guys. So today we are talking about... Oh, is A-Dog not on this? No, Aaron's not on it. Oh, I thought A-Dog was. I was so confused. I mean, no, I'm just not introducing to, him. I'm not sure he has anything to add to it. So. Um, all right, so today we're talking about the beauty community. More specifically, I guess we'll focus on YouTube. We might touch a bit on Instagram. But at the moment, the whole beauty community is blowing up. And so we want to... To sort of touch it's blowing on up that. in many ways. We're just focusing yeah. on one of the explosions. Yeah, we're not going to touch in kind of vibes that. that are going on. Um, we're going to talk specifically today about PR um, brands being promoted through YouTube, social content that's sponsored, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and we'll obviously be talking from a consumer point of view as well as a PR side of from things. And also, we do work with a lot of influencers, so I guess we can sort of give things from all different sides, I suppose. So that's where we're coming from today. All right. So there's been, this has kind of been brewing, I think for a while and it's kind of come to a bit of a tipping point. And one of the big videos that people are talking about at the moment is, um, how do we pronounce her name? Malina. Yeah. Malina from Makeup Geek. She's the owner of Makeup Geek, which is a beauty brand, which several years ago was a very hot commodity on YouTube. And for the past four or so years, we haven't really heard much of it. This week, she's released a video saying that the reason for that is because YouTubers are getting too big for their boots and they're charging through the nose for brands to be on their YouTube channel. And she can't afford that. So that's why her brand has sort of not been as popular as it once was. Um, Sam, how do you want to sort of tackle this? Well, I mean, I, I, we can tackle it any which way you want. I, I'm personally, I, I haven't seen the video. Um, I was sent the link and, and haven't watched it, which no is research. standard. Because um, it's a whopping eight minute have video. have a huge opinion on something he's not seen though. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm not going to have an opinion, I guess, on the video per se, although it sounds to me like she's a whinger and needs to shush. <laughs> um, I, you know... I, I, I mean, everyone, she, is she calling the Super Bowl and saying it's unfair she can't afford a Super Bowl oh ad? God, Courtney oh God, and I, I were just saying that before. Like an hour ago. Well, it's the top of the game, isn't it? So you go for the top, really, don't you? Wow. So I don't really, I think that maybe she just needs to quiet down. I think that maybe her brand's taken a hit and she's speaking to different agencies and everyone keeps saying to her, influence, influence, influence. And now she's built up to this. Now, obviously, it would be devastating if your brand wasn't you know, performing and you didn't know how to undo it and you didn't have the money to t- kind of do that. But I think that you can use many brands as an example who've gone from zero to hero in that same period of time from using influencers. Which she did and then um, other brands sort of came up and innovated a little bit more than she did and she fell by the wayside. And one of the examples she kind of gave was that, you know, there are big YouTubers that are charging $60,000 for a dedicated video. And those numbers do ring true to what we have um, been privy to for influencers Even more than that we've we've seen. Oh, yeah, definitely we've seen more. But that, that is like a... If they have over a million followers, 60,000 is sort of where it can sit. Like what I think is that 
First of all, I just think, I think a lot of, obviously we work in an industry with influencers and stuff. I think a lot of people have this like view that influencers don't do anything and that like it's not hard work and stuff, which I believe that it is hard work. And, you know, if you've got an influencer out there that's got the same amount of followers as you and they're charging 60,000 and you're charging 5,000, like, of course you're going to... Well, look, up I, you know, this won't be so popular with the influence that we work with. But in my opinion, the job isn't hard. No, I it's think, not like hard labor. No, what is hard is a being a cleaner or, in a bathroom yes. or working two jobs to support your family or, yeah. you know, labor intensive 12 hour days in the sun. That's hard work. I, at the same time, don't consider what I do hard in that context. I think that influencers have a fairly cruisy job now that comes along with some extremely stressful times it comes along with some extremely long days having to come up with creative content it's all mental because it's not physical you know having to come up with new concepts that's extremely draining and i think you have to monitor it in different ways than a laborer would by taking holidays and rest and sleep and whatnot i think probably we don't have the tools like we do with physical exhaustion like we do for mental exhaustion if they take a week off social media they can go backwards Absolutely, and I think at the at, and again, that's what I'm saying. It's infrastructure, it's preparation. They could take two weeks off if their content was prepared. Do you know exactly. what I mean? There's ways to do it, which obviously not everyone can do because they may not have the resources, they may have this, blah blah blah. But every every job has its has its pitfalls and whatnot. But I do think that to an extent, when you're getting paid sixty grand for a video, which is above the average wage of a lot of countries on earth, I don't know that you get to sit and say like. I can't take a week off, it's too hard, or I can't employ someone to do this, or I don't have the resources. I just think that it's quite difficult. And when you look at, and to your point, Lang, where you were saying that, um, you know, these influencers, they're charging this price, it's a lot of hard work. I don't think the work reflects the price myself. However, that price is representative of the fact that this is a media buy, which has always been present in the market. The problem is there's no one clipping it 17 times before it gets to the person. So when you bought a TV ad, you had a media buyer, you had an intermediary, then you had the TV station, then you had the ad to be made, blah, blah, blah. All these clips of the ticket occurred for a similar, probably actually cheaper when you're talking about producing an ad. It's cheaper. So the issue is that the lump sum that you would once have clipped 14 people may have made 12, 15 grand off it. One person makes 60. Mm. Now, that's just because they were brilliant and were able to grow a channel and someone else wasn't. So all power to them and all testament to them. But that's the market has changed because there's no middlemen in terms of the, the money. You always paid the same amount of money. This makeup geek person would have paid the same price to be on television. Let's talk about ROI a little bit, which is what Melina talked a lot about, that if you pay $60,000 for someone, this is made up, I don't know what these people charge, but say Nikki Tutorials does a video for $60,000, they're not seeing that she's then returning $60,000. And my issue with it is because if you do an ad on TV, what's the ROI on that? How do you know? Look, I've said this before in another episode, I'm sure. I find this the most offensive part of this industry. Um, I think it's a disgraceful way to view it. I think it's unfair on the influencers. I think it's unfair on the industry as a whole. It's never fully trackable. Well, it's never fully trackable. And yet the irony is when you separate and let's just, you know, merge influencers into digital for a moment against, you know, television, print, whatever. Mm -hmm. We've been convinced and conditioned that, you know, magazines, television, radio to an extent and, and, and many billboards. others, billboards, etc., are this 
don't require a direct ROI. We've been conditioned that that's what that advertising means, that you invest in this and it's a long tail outcome and it's brand and it's this, that and the other. For some reason, when Facebook popped up with the most advanced advertising platform ever seen in history, that everyone went, well, unless it's got a direct ROI, we can't invest in it. But let's put more into this over here, which, well, we know we're not going to see an ROI. That's what it's about. It's it's quite ironic, but again, just explain ROI just in case, or just a return on investment. So the amount of money that you put into the uh, the influencer or the campaign that you get at the other end. Now, a lot of people will tell you that you need to see a three times ROI in order for something to be successful. So if you spent a dollar, you should return three. So for every dollar three, so if you're spending $60,000, you should be returning $180,000. And I will take some credit for that math that I just did on the fly there because numbers job, aren't my strong suit. Um, <laughs> so thankfully you picked 60,000, which was a nice comfortable number there. While he was chatting that whole time 10, in his head, he was like, what's six times three? <laughs> could have chosen 10, Courtney, but thanks for that. Um, so yeah, for me, that's the most offensive part. For some reason, everyone scrutinizes digital, whether that be Facebook ads, and whatnot differently to the way that they scrutinize print and whatnot. And even there's some segments of digital that are scrutinized differently, like banner advertising, like display advertising. And this is something we run into all the time all with the clients. Time. Like we pay this in for $1,000 to show this makeup product and I didn't make $1,000 on it or I didn't make $3,000 on yeah. it. And it's like, well, you don't know. Specifically for brands like someone like Revlon, for instance, they do an ad. Yes, I might watch Desi Perkins do something and go, oh, I really want that. I can go to Big W, Target, Kmart, Priceline, a million online stores. How do they know whether I bought that from Absolutely. the Desi Perkins video? And that's why most of their, unless it's tactical marketing, unless it's really, you know, you go here and you can buy it here on the spot. Like it's really tactical and like, like you that. use this code. Yeah, Those it's all trackable. brand. Yeah, all of the Revlon's marketing is going to be brand. Whereas someone like um, Morphe, for example, only. okay, Makeup Geek, for example, is obviously, it's all to an extent trackable because there's no bleeding out to retail yeah, and to other it was, locations. It's now in Target, but when she was referring to Sorry, What about in terms of like, like bleeding into Instagram a bit here? If a brand is sending like an influencer a dress to wear and say like post it on your Instagram. I don't like I don't see how that's different to them like dressing a celebrity I guess for a red carpet because I feel like these people are like the new age celebrities right how do you how do you like expect ROI from that we come back again to the exact what I was exactly talking about before it's the way that people are looking at all these markets they look at print and we've been conditioned that you invest a lot of money in print like for, the, for those of you who don't know like you'll invest upwards of a hundred thousand dollars for a full page ad in US Vogue a single page and now, no now trackable I, I, ROI. <laughs> I, guarantee, I guarantee you, you will not, if you're a first-time brand spending that sort of money in there, be able to return that money, nor would Vogue promise you you would. But, and if you ask the senior marketing or VPs of the brands that are in the front of pretty much every Vogue on Earth, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, Prada, etc., they will tell you that they don't buy that ad to return the money. They buy that ad because they're Louis Vuitton and, of course, they're in Vogue. That's the brand. When you open it, you have to see Louis Vuitton because that's who they are and it's all a brand. So to to sort of touch on what you said about, you know, people and, and Instagram and how that's working, I just think it's the view of it, the market's not understanding that there is no difference whatsoever between a conventional celebrity from a movie and a YouTube celebrity because they're both doing this. And that's why there's no difference between an influencer who has a thousand followers and an influencer has 10 million because the point is they still influence a group of people. It's yeah, just definitely. different sizes. And there is an argument to be made, and many people will make this argument, that there's far less influence from a Beyonce or a whatever 
over your buying decisions as opposed to one of these YouTubers because you don't feel close to Beyonce. You don't feel like you're anything like her because you know you live in totally separate worlds. Mm. You appreciate and love her. But if she says, I use this primer because it's so good or I use this eyelash, this whatever, a lot of people are going to go, it's unlikely you've done your own makeup in a while. I, yeah, I don't exactly. know. Whereas you know these YouTubers are actively sitting there applying it themselves. Yeah. Now, there's a layer of obviously issue here and, you know, I don't, we're not going into that today, but there's a layer of issue there where there's dishonesty amongst those YouTubers and they're pretending to like something for the well, price, etc. at the end, maybe. Yeah, that's different to me. The point is the markets are identical, a conventional celebrity and whatnot. The only totally difference agree. is you have to know what you're doing in both categories. If you're using, and I think I literally use this example the last time we spoke about this, if you buy Johnny Depp for $100,000 to front Sauvage by Dior, the perfume that he's the face of, you pay him $100,000 and what you get out of that is his the rights to use his face on your pictures, in your campaigns, in whatever you want to talk about, but you get the right to use his face, use his name, and he might turn up to a launch or something, although Johnny Depp's probably not. So that's what you pay for. You don't get off the back of that a post on his Instagram guarantee he's going to sell your product. He's him not saying that he likes him it. He likes he's it. not going to promote any other he, brand. He's not like, doing. Yeah, he's not doing anything. Like that's he doesn't have to do any of that. And then what they do is they take that hundred thousand dollar investment to get his face, and then they amplify it by putting him in point of sale in shops, in billboards on highways, in radio advertisements, you know, whatever press. it is, press, whatever it is in that world. The problem that people are having in this influencer world is that they pay this person and they expect them to carry the full weight of a campaign. And then when it doesn't go right, it's their fault. Or maybe sometimes I see videos and it's like, this product is not the right fit for this person. It's not going to sell. And is that the influencer's fault or is that the brand's fault for not doing their research and not selecting the right person that has the right demo that, you know, if you, for instance, someone like Kathleen Light who consistently talks about drugstore and I would say that her her demo skews younger and she always gets really big views on her drugstore videos. If she comes in with a sponsored post on something from La Mer, they're not going to get the return on that in any way, shape or no. form because $300 for an eye cream is not going to work for a 13-year-old girl who likes $5 Colourpop eyeshadows. But I think that's a big issue as well in the industry is that I feel like with this whole use of influence and stuff, sometimes brands aren't doing their research properly. Well, and again, this is where you step back and you look at the old system. The old system had so many clips of the ticket because you were supposed to be paying people who knew what they were doing. You didn't go to the Today Show and say, hi, we're looking to sell um, these items to an audience and we're hoping the audience you've got is 18 to 21. Won't tell you that. We'll just say, we want you to promote this, but what you're trying to find is an 18 to 21-year-old. 18 to 21-year-olds aren't watching the Today Show. That's an older audience. Now, if you went to the Today Show's chief of staff or their group and just said, here's a check, promote this tomorrow, they'd probably do it if that was the system and how it's set up. What you do is you go to a media group who works with all different types of media, you say to them, we're trying to sell more to young people, and they go, right, here's the three platforms we'd use. They then go to Channel 9 and go, what TV shows are they watching? Mm. This is the t-. And then you, you create a funnel and find your customer. Yes. The problem is now brands or owners like this makeup are a lot just looking at the number. All they do is they just pick a person. A lot of They're them. Like, and this person we has see all the time. Don't even, yeah, That'll do. They don't even ask demos. They don't even ask a lot of stuff. We, how many times have we asked the people and they've been shocked when yeah, we're asking demos, for yeah. demos yeah. And, and ages and whatnot, like, like as if it's not standard practice. And I think that's the issue. Everyone likes this idea of direct to the influencer and whatnot. 
but when you're talking to their management, they only manage that one person typically, or they might manage two of them. They don't have multi-platforms to be able to assess where is the actual money best spent here, who is their audience. And I think that there are some teams out there who really understand their market and understand the influencer and whatnot. And they if the influencer is talking to you directly, they really get their audience. And so when you talk to them and you say, hi, this is my brand, is it going to work? Some of them will genuinely say no. And they'll be able yeah, to be... And there have been examples of YouTubers that I watch that have said, not with any brand names, obviously, they just give examples where they've said, brand has emailed me saying they want X, Y, and Z in the video. I must say all of these yeah. lines. And they've said, that's not going to work in my video. And they've said, well, that's too bad. That's all we're offering. I think brands need to understand that the person that knows their audience best is the YouTuber. And if they say it needs to be done in this way, you need to be 100%. flexible. Otherwise, you need it does, to have... just do an ad on TV otherwise if you want it to look like an ad. Well, you just need... It's funny, really. I think a, what a brand needs is to work out the key pillars of why something would be able to move. For example, working with an influencer. I wouldn't work with an influencer unless my product was visible. Okay, yeah. So the like a service, be... you would not go that route. Sorry, sorry. I mean, if I was a product, oh. they would need to show it. On yes, the video. Yes, yes. I have to be able to see it as the consumer because one... Do you mean like... How do you mean? Like they're if holding it's a it? Mascara? If I, yeah, they have to be holding it. Okay. okay they okay. can't be sitting there and saying, you know, I this mother talking about really this. Happens, does it? Well, I, I'm not sure. I think there'd be some Instagram story promotions where it's not. And the problem is it needs to be visual, but it needs to not be too... Addy visual. You know what I mean? Like I think when you see those photos of even the Kardashians when they're wearing those waist trainers and stuff at times yeah. and you're like, this isn't – I mean, I'm buying this. You know, I mean, they are buying it. But, <laughs> but I'm not personally People are buying like, it. oh, wow. Yeah. Click I, I just think there's a real disconnect. And, I, and, and honestly, it's because there's not a lot of great agencies working in this space. And again, if we got someone in here who was buying TV ads or radio ads – 40 years ago, something like, I don't know when TV first started, but back in the days, you would have been able to run a TV ad and return 10 times, 50 times your money because no one knew what it was worth. Although there were some inherent costs, production, talent, studios, lighting, you know, crews, etc. It's just one guy and a camera now, one girl and a camera now. Sometimes yeah. I've got a couple of cameras and some lights, but you're talking about a studio that's costing, I would say, tops 30 grand for most of them. I think you could deck out a pretty amazing studio for 30 grand, 40 grand. And that's it. That setup and them can generate millions and millions and millions so annually. So tell me this, everyone's saying we're at the tipping point now and it's going to cap out. They're going to be charging way too much and it's there's no ROI, whatever. Do you think we are at the point where influencers at that top end of the scale are charging too much? I mean, one I've seen is, you know, 2 million followers, $90,000 for a dedicated video. The problem I have is that None, no one gets to say they're charging too much. Just what the because market if will the, pay. Yeah, it's that the market will pay. The problem is, is that people get angry that L'Oreal can afford 90 grand and you can't. Yeah. Now, that's not the influencer's fault and it's the market's fault. But you know what? There's an influencer out there who can't get L'Oreal to sponsor them. Find that person. Yeah. Find the person Change who's the new. Change the strategy. Right? Yeah. You, and the, to me, it's just laziness that – and a lot of people were there in the early days where you'd pay and get three times and four times and even 20 times ROI, and those days are dead. And uh, sorry, they're not completely dead, but they're mostly dead. And if that was your strategy and then now – it's the same people who are like, I can't believe Facebook's changed or this is so unfair with the organic reach and this, that and the other. It's a free platform. But what are your thoughts on like – people saying like influencers are charging too much money, like they're getting an ego and they're charging too much. Because personally, 
like influencers, obviously YouTube and stuff, that's their job. For mm. me, if I started a job, this is not my real pay, just to be clear. <laughs> if, if I started a job and you were paying 20 grand and I love PR, it's always what I've wanted to do. And you've said, I'll give you 20 grand for the job and I do it. And then in two years time, you're like, oh, you're doing a really great job. I'll give you a hundred grand. Wouldn't that be nice, guys? <laughs> no, I'm um, doing it for the passion. Never mind. And then, like, yeah. I'm not going to be like, no, like, I just want to do it for me because she's like, like, people are saying, you know, they've lost the passion for makeup. It's all about money now. It's- Look, I think that the problem is here when she's talking about it, I think she's talking about two different things. And she's, I haven't watched the video again, so I don't know. <laughs> but I, it sounds to me like it's getting more emotional than business. It, it does feel like she is. It feels heavily like she's talking about Jacqueline Hill a lot of the video. And what's happened is is that used to be close and Jacqueline talked a lot about Makeup Geek and was a big part of their success. And all of a sudden Morphe came along and now Jacqueline sides with them and Melena's like, well, you know, I helped you set up your lighting and now you don't talk about my brand. But how long is someone indebted to you? Yeah. Never. Like- you're not exactly. dead to anyone. I right? think so you're like, ever indebted to Do you want a firstborn child? Do you want to like constantly talk about your brand forever when you don't and have you the know, money to pay And if you were commercially her? savvy, you would have had a contract. And this is the problem. She sounds very much to me like she's got two issues. One is business and one is personal. The business issue is that now they're too expensive. Well, that's the world we live in. You need to find the cheaper ones and there are... There are literally millions of influencers. So to say that the problem is you're only watching the 15, 20 biggest ones and yeah. their friends. You need to search wider. So the business issue is that the fact they're getting more expensive is literally what every single market does. There's a reason some people do regional television and metro television. They have a billboard in Times Square and they have a billboard in Missouri. It's just the world and that's how a market works. It adjusts its price. I think what the problem is and where people are being ridiculous is that Times Square and and Super Bowl have always been the top, you know, in our time anyway. Yeah, I was going to say they haven't always been, been the top, alive, have they? Since we've been alive or yes. since these brands have been alive. Whereas Jacqueline started small, was taking – not Jacqueline, she doesn't take money for videos. Nikki started small and now she's blowing out. So it's like brands that did deal, deals with her five years ago were like, oh, well, she was this down-to-earth girl and now she wants this astronomical amount of money. It's like, yeah, her viewers are four times the amount that she was two, three years ago. And people aren't yeah, getting I mean, that. Whereas Times Square, yeah. everyone has in their head that's expensive always. Whereas I feel like because they've grown, because the she started at Missouri and now yeah. she's Times Square, they think she still should be yeah, Missouri. Is that Ebbing, Missouri? There, <laughs> three billboards outside. Yeah, that's why I was in Missouri. <laughs> how would you feel? Go the other way. How would you feel if you were condensed? and owned every oh. magazine there was and you used to just roll in cash and then overnight no one cared and you started hemorrhaging your magazines selling them off getting rid of them because you can't sell advertising space in them what and you you spent all this money buying them that's the worst position to be in this woman has brand name recognition from the market from years ago a full line by the sounds of it she's in target shut up like Rest in peace, Dolly magazine. How many people are out there who actually couldn't afford this, don't have brand name recognition and couldn't, you know, and then busting their ass. I think to me, it just sounds like straight up whinging and she's obviously got a personal problem. I don't know who it is And in the video, she goes, okay, guys, we're going to start working with smaller influencers. So tag your name down the bottom. It's like, well, why haven't you already been doing that? This happened four or five years ago. And you know what? L'Oreal has a strategy for that. Yeah, like the multi-billion-dollar empire, and there are heaps of influencers that are on that lower end that will just receive free stuff and talk about it. You don't even 100%. need to pay them. And do you know also this isn't necessarily at Liang but, <laughs> but it's a different way to go. But look at Vogue. 
James Charles in the latest issue of Vogue Australia, the September issue Congrats, with Kylie James. Jenner on the front. Congrats, sister. September Love you. sister. And, you know, on that, Kylie Jenner's attached her lip kit. Now, she is arguably one of the most well-known people on earth. You'd be lucky to find someone doesn't know about Kylie's cosmetic brand. You'd also and be she... lucky to find a Vogue anywhere now. <laughs> yep, and you'd be lucky to, like, command what she can digitally and whatnot. She still thinks there's value in being in print. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, being a cover girl is still like the dream, isn't it? But she's got the cover. She didn't. Do you think that Vogue said to her, only if we get the lip kits? Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> she still wants her product in the hands through an, a medium which she has virtually destroyed. You know what I mean? She's yeah. a part of yeah, the group of people definitely. that have taken that viewership away. She is still seeing the value in a completely different medium. So the fact that this person can be like, now we'll start working with smaller influencers. Sorry, but you deserve to be gone. And didn't you say the other day that this has been like the fastest selling Vogue or something? Yeah. I mean, Ed, the editor in chief of um, Thing I was speaking to, and she told me it's the fastest selling issue of Vogue in history. So Australia. it's uh, Vogue Australia, it's history. Um, and so it's, it's obviously unbelievable. But, you know, it would be interesting to see per capita if it's the world. Because no other Vogue's done a yeah, lip kit. That's true. Yeah. And that, I think, is what's really added that obviously fueled the oh, fire. Yeah, and if you went per capita, Little I think that Australia it would be, could pull through. Look at that. So, you know, it's, and look, whoever in that team worked on it and got the lip kits, really unbelievable. That was quite a kudos, coup. Well, yeah, well played. Um, but yeah, I, I, the whole thing to me is just whinging. I think this whole market, what I will touch on is egos. I think that. She's 100% right. There are some hideous egos out there. They need to come way back down to earth. But again, that's a market. If their ego is so bad, people will stop paying them. It's why people in the celebrity world disappear. They use drugs once, all the brands leave them. They mm. do this, no one wants to work with them. They get a bad name, they can't get a job. What's her name from Grey's Anatomy that got... Uh, um, no one wanted to work with her for a long time? Catherine Heigl. Catherine Heigl. You know, she supposedly, I have no idea, had an attitude on set or something or had an attitude and was difficult to work with. And so she didn't get work for <sighs> That's years. That's like part of it, yeah. Do you know she, what I mean? Well, what originally kicked it off was that she got nominated for an Emmy... And then she said, no, thanks. I don't want to be nominated. I don't feel like the writers did a good enough job. Yeah, right. So, Burn. And that's like, there's you your ego. You can imagine Shonda Rhimes really took that well. But again, that's the ego thing. And then that corrected. I bet you she is a lot nicer now. And Apparently I think that's, not. Her last TV show got cancelled because she was a bitch there too. Well, I mean. So they say. So they say. Who knows? But ultimately it will continue to be corrected. There's your correction. You have a TV show, you're rude, you lost the TV show. Mm. You know, you were Roseanne, you had a TV show, it's the biggest, you were racist, you're gone. Everything ultimately corrects. Not as much for men, more for women, but that's all right. Yes, yeah, still getting there. But, and, and look, I, I also We will think move forward. <laughs> I think that's true of influencers though. I don't feel like they're under the same level of scrutiny because they're not in the public eye yet as much because they are just living their digital lives. Although they we are have still, seen with the Laura Lee It's Manny starting anyway, to... Really kicked off, but oh, again, that really, really kicked that off. kicked off in their world. Yeah, true. But I did see a story on news.com. Oh, look, uh, yeah, that they uh, uh, syndicated it from the Washington Post. Yeah, so, so it has started it, to kick off a bit now. There's there's movement, but I think ultimately it is contained within there. Within and the beauty industry, the more that that well, just the influence world, the more that expands, the more that people will start to meet these people, realize that they're not nice, or that the image they portray online is not actually what they are offline. And the more that happens, the more that we'll see brands you know influencer brands start to crumble around them because that's just the way the world is it just it corrects i mean every time you see someone say something inappropriate then people say oh, i'm not going to buy that anymore i won't be associated or if that company doesn't disassociate with that person then we won't buy you so it's all a correction process but i think the problem is like you said courtney i think that's correct you 
they've held on to the fact that they knew them five years ago and they feel like it's the same person. Yes, it's the same person, but it isn't the same brand. And you need to separate professionalism and personal. Professionally, they're not the same anymore. They're I mean, but it's different. like Kim Kardashian 10 years ago versus her now. Yeah. Not the I mean, same what, brand. Oh, I, mean, I mean, let what? me tell you, I almost had her in Australia with me and that price I would pay now any day of the week <laughs> just for a coffee. What we used to charge when we first started was vastly different to what we charge now. And that doesn't mean that we have an ego. <laughs> No Sam has an ego. <laughs> See, but at look, underscore I, Sam Mangan. <laughs> I just think that ultimately it's a bunch of whinges and I think that that happens in every transition. I bet you this all happened when TV, the same thing happened when radio happened, with newspapers and when magazines, all of this would have happened, I'm sure, where people just think that they've cracked the secret code. They think this is it. I'm just going to keep working with one influencer or two influencers and killing it and then all of a sudden they're not. They but slack now off brands are becoming a little bit more savvy and that you know these that's what these brand trips are for they're but creating experiences that's what the initial thing was and now they're working with collabs with them so the name's actually on that product and it's not just a paid oh one of course and that's what i mean post, you, they, you get lazy and relaxed you don't release more products you don't do this you don't do that. you just you just sit in the back seat and then when everything passes you by you wonder what happened and ultimately you're the only one to blame for that like you've got to blame yourself it's the same thing when People are saying like, oh, it's so annoying that organic reach is gone. Well, did you maximize it when you had it? You know, like what are you yeah. harnessing the most? What are you, if you think something's good, you can't say it's good retrospectively. If you think something's good now, then, you know, double down on it, really push hard for it. And I don't think, it's only the people who are doubling down who are going, this is really good now. It can't possibly be good forever. You know what I mean? Like people are like offended that Facebook's making money. It's it, it's so odd. But, you know, that just seems to be the way the world operates. So... I just think it's very unfair to blame your whole business not doing well on influences. But that's the world we live in though, right? Everyone wants to blame everyone else. It's never your own fault. You want to blame every external I'm sure factor there you are can. a lot of dodgy practices out there. We've seen a few things now where one of the big scandals at the moment is that managers are reaching out to brands saying like, hi, Clinique, Nikki Tutorials, none of that's true. We'd like to work with you. This is how much she charged. Whereas traditionally it's been that Clinique reaches out to Nikki Tutorials and people are outraged that a manager would reach out to her. I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's called hustle. (laughs) Like what? Yeah, I don't understand that. People are crazy about it. And it's just, I think that... This people understand whole, that Channel 9 have a sales team, right? <laughs> I think that people in this whole world, consumers, don't realise the level of money that this is. So when Marlena mm-hmm. said in that video they charged $60,000 for a video, people's mind were bl- – like they knew there was yeah. money but they right. didn't realise their whole wage for the year was going to be how much one person gets for a video. And I think that they're like now like, oh, they sit at home, they do nothing, they get paid $60,000, their egos are huge. And it's like, yeah, but every other influencer with that same – of followers is charging that much and another influencer came out to yesterday tati westbrook saying that like she doesn't have a manager she doesn't have a press team and kind of spoke a little bit negatively about people having like a machine behind what they do what is your opinion on that sam sort of people like having pr managers agents having a team to help them basically yeah i think um if you don't have a team you're an idiot and i think that's your own fault and you deserve to go broke i mean what like I think I obviously go back a lot because it, I think you can look in the past and you can get so much value, but I don't understand why Why does no actor on earth ever manage themselves and handle their own press and do their own, you know. At the end of the day, the the world works and goes round, full stop, end of story, on contacts. 
That's all it is. Yes. It's who you know and that's the extent of it. And so why would you not hire someone who can extend your contact base into areas that you can't get? I mean, there's very few people who can pick their phone up and call heads of TV networks or production companies or and, and have those discussions. So why wouldn't you put yourself in a position to, to absolutely maximize it? And that goes for influence, the same as I said businesses before. The fact that they haven't maximized, they didn't spend more money when they had it on the big influencers or the big influencers they were working with who weren't massive, massive, you should have spent more money with them or you know you should have done a collab with it whatever it is same thing for influencers this moment will not last the exact same way it didn't last for businesses who are working with you some of you are going to disappear it will take finding an old tweet or it will take a new tweet or it will take something stupid or it may just take no one cares anymore. The consumption levels in this market now are through the roof. Such a fast People are following industry. so many influencers. They used to follow two. They used to follow six. Now they're following 25. How do you know that they're going to watch your video and 25. not... 25? Well, Pretty sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're talking weekly consumption of maybe YouTube videos, I would say 25 would sit around probably the average newcomer medium interest in this space consuming 25 different people's videos per week yeah and if if they're following 25 you have to be the best of the 25 you know what i mean so you're not only competing against them you're competing against every other influencer you're competing against conventional television you're competing against facebook instagram etc because you want them to put all that down and watch your youtube video and so are you spending as an influencer are you spending enough time to make your content worth them doing that you're asking but I also to sit. feel like in saying that, I feel like, yes, there's like 25 channels or whatever. They're all very similar. If like the people that I follow, I would watch them review the same product and I'd watch all of them. Like I don't think it's one or the other. Yeah. There will be someone though, Lang, who in the last year you've stopped watching. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and that's that's the attrition. Yeah. That's the problem. Those people that you've stopped watching have lost you for a reason. Presumably it's not a scandal. So it's because the content is now dry or boring or you no longer are interested in them. Is that because they weren't showing enough of their life on Instagram stories or was Snapchat not working or were they not uploading frequently enough so you just forgot about them? Was it, you know, there's so many reasons. Yeah. And again, the influencer is being paid $60,000, let's say, is the number. When before the $60,000 was split between a production company, the booker, the manager, blah, 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 to book a TV ad, whatever. So now the influencer doesn't get to say like, why would you have a team? Because the fee you're being paid isn't for you. It's for what you produce backed by your name. Mm. So you need to have the support around you to be able to p produce all the different elements that make up what is they're asking you to do. Is that a video? Is that whatever? But in order to keep your YouTube fresh, I, like I don't think anyone is creative enough on their own. They might spawn ideas off conversations and stuff. But but also there's a lot of negotiation that goes into these contracts. Oh. A lot of these young girls and guys don't know how to handle all of that. And I don't think there's anything shameful in reaching out to a brand and saying, hey, I would like to work with you. I think that's ridiculous. Here's my fee. Like, what? what? There's millions of them. Why wouldn't you reach out in a situation where there's likely you wouldn't be seen unless you're one of the top 10 or 15 or 20, you know? Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. I mean, how do you think you get into KKW beauty events, PR? How do you think you get on Kylie's PR list, PR, you know, yeah. it's all those things that make up the greats and every single celebrity ever will tell you that their publicist is one of the most important arms to their arsenal because they're the ones that have kept them at the right events, in the right pages, you know, relevant when they're not maybe as relevant because they didn't get that movie part of that TV part, they still stay relevant. So it's, that's 
just a di- an idiot. So to sum up, you're saying that ROI should be looked at very differently for social media. Well, uh, yes, I'm saying that definitely. What I'm saying is that I don't agree with the fact that there is no ROI present in print and all those other things media. when there is an ROI that must be met for social media. But I'm not saying that social media should be treated the same way as the old one. I just don't get the disparity. Why do we treat them completely different? I think there should be some level of ROI. And that's when you have a layered approach where you're spending some money on brand and some money on acquisition. Acquisition, which has a direct ROI. We spent X dollars to acquire Y customers. Now, again, you have to look at how that goes. If you spend... to acquire a customer, which is cheap, to acquire a customer to buy your product. Now, let's use a real example. Let's say your, any product, a foundation is $35. You spend $50 to get that customer. Now, this makeup geek person presumably would be very disappointed with that. But if your product's good enough, one, will they rebuy it? So next time you spend nothing to get them again. So now they spent it again. We'll or did they buy things. a second product? So you have to look at lifetime value of a customer, which is LTV, which is a very important aspect to every business. You need to know when someone comes into your business, into your funnel, what happens to them there? Do they try the product and hate it and never come back? Well, then, yeah, you need your cost of acquisition to be super low, um, but probably the product's an issue. Or, you know, are you able to keep them? And I think Morphe is the perfect example of, yes, they were aggressively growing at the point where they could, but also once they got you just buy one thing, you started buying five and six. Yeah. I mean, their cost of acquisition would be far higher than the cost of their products. Their products cost nothing, right? Uh, actually, make up Morphe, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're quite cheap. You know what I mean? Like, if you're, what's a brush cost? It depends on the brush, but like around ten dollars, depending on the brush. If a brush is ten dollars, subtract the cost of making the brush, shipping the brush, merchandising the brush, having staff sell it in their you know new stores, the wages of that staff, the, the power 10% bill, that the went to the influencer, ten percent, you know, all those things. If someone comes and buys one brush, you're not making a whole lot of money. It's the Kmart effect. What's the Kmart effect? The fact that you like the brand itself doesn't make that much money on a singular product, but mm. because everything is so cheap. When you go onto the store or into the store, you buy, more. You buy all the heaps of stuff. Like you go into Kmart wanting like a toaster and you leave with like a freaking trolley full of stuff. Well, this is the, I mean, this is the concept of a department store, right? I mean, this is why Meyer and David Jones and Macy's and Nordstrom and whatnot exist because the idea is that if you go into a store that has all of the brands that you like, you're more likely to buy more because you have to walk here, you have to walk there, you have to walk there. The problem is now consumers want experience. That's changed, but that's the... You know, the age-old concept is that if it's in one location, you're more likely to, you know, purchase it and whatnot. So, you know, that's why they still exist to an extent because why, you know, you could buy most, you can buy most products now in their own stores. Like most people have their own, yeah. you know, stores and stuff. But yeah, I think, yes, that's correct. I think you need to consider it differently. I just think now if you're looking to use influencers, you need to strongly look at what you're using them for and why you're using them and what the outcome of that usage should be. So I think that how everything's blowing up at the moment, I think it's because things are starting to be disclosed that were quite yeah. secretive before and the consumers are shocked at the information and then only the big dogs can play with the big dogs now. And I think in the past, small brands could play with the big dogs, but you have to be a big brand to play with but the big dogs. you know, small brands can play with the big dogs. It's just about approach. True. It's just about approach. There are ways to penetrate the big guys. At the end of the day, and I think everyone forgets this, all oh, their ego, this, that and the other. They're just people. There's a way to penetrate every person's mind. You just have to find a way to do it. 
Um, it may and find not the right be free. person. Find the right person and do a lot of hard work. I'm there not was saying actually something interesting I saw the other day. Sorry to cut you off, but a lot now is how big can your PR package be in order to feature on their Snapchat and their Insta story? I mean, right? I've said that for years. Yeah, and that's like a huge big deal at the moment. Like how impressive can it be? But because everyone is so impressive now, something that I saw was quite interesting the other day. There was just this small brand that had like a teeny tiny box of recyclable. Um, things and just said hi like we don't want to have waste we know you're going to throw it all out anyway here's just our product and that's what we stand behind and everybody showed it because they were like guys we love this it's like all like we're not wasting all this yeah, stuff because there the was an influencer that i followed and they got the beauty blender pr package which was yeah. like a really big basically beauty blender yeah and she was like this is really cool and i'm really grateful for all the stuff but like it's so wasteful yeah. Look, it's uh, the Beauty Blender one, and I've seen it in person because it happened to be in the Allure offices when I was there. Um, I think that the, the the Beauty Blender is iconic, and I don't, you yeah. know, it's, it doesn't affect me, but it is iconic, and I'm not even the market. And when he I was saw doing a dabbing it, action yeah, on his hand, though, like the size of it. <laughs> when I saw it in the life size, I, Emily Sky, the editor, everyone stopped and were like, "Isn't it cool?" Yeah, that's, that's why brand, it's large. But that's a brand that has the money, so they can do it. Whereas a small brand cannot afford to do that, so they were creative and were like, "Let's go for the minimalist thing." And then that got them. The and attention. I can tell you that James Charles has told me on numerous occasions that he really struggles with the big PR packages because he doesn't have an enormous apartment, and also he ends up with those styrofoam pellets everywhere, and they're not environmentally friendly. And he's yeah. really concerned with that. So he, as one of the biggest in the world is very concerned with that. So I think before, and I've said for years, you need to get in everyone's face and be big and splashy. I, I don't think necessarily having, again, a beauty blender is iconic. A large beauty blender, yes, that works. It's also a big launch for them. You yeah. know, it's, it's a huge thing for them. But I, I think that it's not necessarily the size of your product. I think that you can make the PR package big without being wasteful with, you know, yeah. I don't know how what that it looks like. to make like, it meaningful. Personal, meaningful, um, you know, whatever it is, reactive, you know, these people live their lives on social. Do they say something? Then you respond very quickly. I mean, we we do that with the, the press. You know yeah. what I mean? We see something, we respond. You know, there was a reporter a while ago who got stuck in an elevator. Um, and we oh, saw yeah. that over the weekend. And uh, that happened on a Saturday, I think. The Monday morning, we had delivered to her um, desk um, an elevator rescue package filled with all the stuff that she mentioned, a thing that she wished she had with her when she got trapped in there. Now, obviously, she's not going to carry that around. Battery but charger. it was cute. And again, it, it, it's personal. And so, you know, that increases connection. And I think that's just what's important. And I think that's what everyone just wants an easy tactic, which influencers were in the early days. Now it's not easy. They're all whingers. Yeah. And so we just got to be a bit smarter. I think you just got to do what, what nothing has ever changed in this world, unfortunately. Work hard. That's unfortunately it. All right, I don't think we have time to go over the whole ethics of saying that something's been sponsored or not, so that will be another episode for another time. All right, guys, I think that's it. Wrap us up. Does anyone have any interesting... I would like... If someone can throw in, if anyone is listening and has comments and whatnot, please let us know. Let's take a call, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) If you're shocked by the fact that influencers are being paid upwards of $90,000 for a single YouTube video... Um, you know, what, what's anyone else's thoughts? I mean, I, that's a whopping number, I think, to the average person. When I received that email, out. I was like, wow. One thing that really shocked me as like, a, I, you know, I'm a big YouTube 
watcher. Um, and when I first started doing this whole PR thing, one thing that shocked me was that there were some influencers who were willing to charge to be in their favorites video for a brand that they had never heard of. And that to me was like heartbreaking. It was like, oh my God, to me, a favorites video was like this sacred thing that people couldn't pay to be a part of. And to know that like, you know, someone will just take money for anything and they'll say it's a favorite for the month. That's that's heartbreaking. Wild. Yeah. Usually you can spot a sponsored video a mile away, but I never thought they'd be in favorites video. This is obviously years ago. Yeah. But there are definitely... She I mean, knows better now. Oh, I know so much better now. But yeah, so it's definitely, I think for a normal consumer, that, that kind of number is is pretty shocking. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, you aren't on the mic. Give us a look. But is sixty ninety thousand dollars like a shocking number or is that something you expected? He's nodding. He's, He's nodding. nodding. He's saying shocking with his mouth. It's shocking, but I think the average person wouldn't be shocked by seven or eight hundred thousand dollars to get Kylie Jenner to post something. Oh yeah, I think celebrities have a different perceived value. Tell me this, Sam. If I want to have um, like a normal ad in the middle of the Bachelor, like a regular season episode, <sighs> not a final, what kind of price point are we looking at for? We don't do much advertising, that, do we? What's a normal oh, look, ad it's kind not of price? That. It's really hard because you can't necessarily these days just buy an ad. Yeah, you have you, to buy a collection. You know, you're buying yeah. a collection. They do a spread. You know, they bonus you up by adding stuff that's not in prime yeah. time and stuff. But it's still considerable, like tens and tens of thousands of dollars yeah. for getting the right campaign, not to mention the cost of production of the ad, exactly. etc. You're paying a percentage to the person who booked it for you, the media buyer. You're paying a percentage. You know, there's so many people. Yeah. Like, again, you end up spending six figures is buying you a, a campaign but the man, for say someone has $60,000 for a video, they have $2 million subscribers, eyeballs for that account are probably 500000 for that video if they've got good engagement, I guess. Is that a fair price, do you think? 60000 for 500000 people seeing your product? That's not a question I can answer without. You know, if it's your only 60000 and you're brand new, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's no way for that money to return fast enough. And if you burn your entire war chest off 60 grand, you might make five back. And, you know, for example, if we look at, and this episode's run on for about a thousand years, but just as a last note to finish on, if you look at what Bondi Sands just recently did by partnering with Kylie Jenner to post the Bondi Sands brand, mm. now obviously they would have a very large war chest, I would presume, because they're very successful. Um, that's an explosive way to get access to broad awareness in a new market. You know, the US isn't a huge market for them, considerable, I'm sure. They probably, they must want to grow in there, I guess, by having her post. Um, that's a really explosive way to get mass market appeal and then to be able to use that image to remarket. I think that's a, I think that's a good expensive money. It's probably one of the best I've seen uses of someone like a Kylie Jenner because I, are they going to get the money back off that post? No, absolutely not. But they will get it in broad awareness. And I think yeah. that's what they need. Now they'll trickle in all the lower end ones and then that will, everyone will be like, Bondi Sands, I've heard that name before. And then that's when it'll start to flow through. Okay, cool. All right, guys. That's it. Thanks so much. I haven't done the wrap-up in a long time. I don't even know what the wrap-up is. Wrap us up, Sam. Get out of here. Um, well, thank you very much for listening to our first episode of season two. Uh, I love that we just put the season break right there when we just weren't available. Um, that was great. So, it was like yes. only weeks before we were like, guys, I don't think we ever have seasons. We just run the whole way through. And then it was like, bye, we're leaving the country. Okay, season one ended. Love it. So thank you for joining us for season two, episode one. If you have any suggestions for what you'd like to hear in this podcast, please let us know. If there's something that you love from season one that we should repeat, please let us know. If we miss something, please let us know. Just let us know. Um, 
Um, as usual, please subscribe to the podcast. If you are not subscribed, you're not a real fan. Uh, we love those who subscribe. And uh, if you're subscribing on an Android device, I would just power down and return it to your local store. Not a Samsung store, because what a poor fit out they all are. Uh, I would just start right in the bin in your house. Pop in, pick up an apple, subscribe easy. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.